This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for December 10th, 2020. Apple announces over-the-ear headphones called AirPods Max, but are they worth the price? Another warning about flash installers, and WhatsApp makes a protest. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing okay. We're two weeks away from that magical day, Christmas. So, what do you want for Christmas, Josh? What do I want for Christmas? Well, I mentioned last week that um, we're working on upgrading our home theater system. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, which is going to cost more than I would like, but um, it'll be really awesome once we're done. What what else do I want for Christmas? I I know one thing that I don't really care about that Apple just announced, (laughs) and that's the AirPods Max. Yes. Now, as as we record here, you use your AirPods minimum normal. <laughs> what would you call them? Yeah, these are these are the first gen AirPods. Yeah. Basic AirPods to listen to audio, and and you have a little bit of trouble sometimes getting both of them to work. Uh, the AirPods Max are totally different. So this is a new product that Apple announced. It is a it's an over the ear noise canceling headphone. So, so if you think like the Bose Quiet Comfort, which is the noise canceling headphone that a lot of people know and, and they're very good, it's Apple's answer to that. With a lot more, um, they're saying that it has this spatial audio, which uh, no, I haven't heard yet because only the AirPods Pro and the AirPods Max have that. Um, like you, I have the first generation AirPods, but it's basically a Bluetooth headphone. Uh, with noise canceling. So this is the kind of thing that you're going to use when you're on a plane, if you ever do that again, when you're commuting, if you ever do that again. Um, and uh, Apple is claiming that it's got all these magical things to make it sound good. Of course, it's got a magical price of $549. Ouch. Yeah, that's one of the most shocking things about this whole thing to me. It's like, okay, first of all, Apple doing Apple branded over the head, you know, over the ear um, earphones. Um, this is different for Apple because their whole, uh, so Apple bought beats. I don't know how many years ago it's been now, but beats headphones, like they, to me, they make sense being, you know, over the head, over the ear. That's like the style of beats. Right. And, uh, and I know beats has other products too. They, they do have in ear um, headphones and things like that, but that's what I envision like beats being right. And then AirPods have always been in-ear until now. And I'm sort of confused as to why Apple has decided to go this direction rather than just use the Beats line for the -the over-the-head thing. I think Apple bought Beats to get cred in the market. And they've slowly moved away from the Beats brand. And they'll probably eventually get rid of the Beats brand once the Apple brand for headphones has established itself. So we saw the AirPods and the AirPods Pro, which are, 
you know, the first two are kind of basic. Now we're seeing a larger model. I would think that we're going to see a couple of other types of headphones, on-ear headphones, etc. Um, now they still are releasing some new Beats products. The, the, the ones, the exercise ones, I forget exactly what they're called. They're pretty recent, or maybe it's a new version of a previous one. So the Beats line exists, but I think what Apple's trying to do here is they're trying to make the Apple line the sort of high-end, really good quality stuff. And as always, they highlight things like the breathable knit mesh of the headband and the stainless steel frame wrapped with a soft-to-the-touch material. Um, so they're making all of the typical Apple material quality claims of the devices. And it's got it's got a digital crown that lets you control the volume, skip between tracks, answer phone calls, and activate Siri. And that's kind of interesting because, you know, the, the digital crown comes on the watch. And the only reason there's a digital crown on the watch is because watches have crowns to wind them or to set the time. And no, but I, I think the digital crown is a good interface element, a good hardware interface element that's familiar to people and they've adapted it. So they've added one to these headphones. Um, again, the spatial audio, uh, I'm told by people who have the AirPods Pro that it's quite impressive. This even has head tracking. So if you're watching things with surround sound, like on an iPad or a MacBook, and you turn your head, the sound is kind of going to follow you. In other words, the sound will move as the axis of your head changes. So it'll sound like it would if the sound was in the real world around you. Yeah, now that could actually be pretty cool. I... I still don't really understand the price tag, though. Why is this so much more expensive than even AirPods Pro? Well, obviously, it's more expensive than AirPods Pro because it's a much bigger, much more complex uh, type of headphone. I, I think it's extremely expensive. If you look at Bose's prices, they go from, I don't know, about 270 to $340. Um, Apple's here is at 549 It doesn't come with a cable. You can get a lightning to 3.5 millimeter cable for $35. It does come with a case, which is very curious, which looks like, looks like a purse. The case only covers the bottom and the top part of the headphones is the thing you carry. And it just looks strange. It really looks strange. Um, You use the case to charge the headphones. I guess you have to plug something into the case and then the, the headphones plug into it. Um, but it is an odd looking thing. You know, they've apparently sold out. Um, if you want to order them now, what has it been since yesterday? They just launched yesterday. We're recording Wednesday. They just launched Tuesday. Um, if you order them now, you won't get them until late January. But of course, this could simply be that Apple didn't produce a lot because they wanted that kind of buzz of it being an exclusive product that you can't get. Yeah, I was exact. That's exactly what I was just thinking. I was going to say the same thing that, uh, you know, Apple does usually predict the demand for new products pretty well. Tim Cook famously was, you know, Apple's supply chain guy before he became the CEO. And so he has a really good sense for this kind of thing, generally speaking. For for Apple to sell out right away, that that is interesting because it it either means that it was way more successful than Apple uh, expected it to be, or like you're saying that they wanted to give that perception so that in the hopes that this could maybe take over the Beats brand at some point, you know, like kind of lend, lending credibility to Apple as the the new headphone company. Would they underestimate by that much? They they kind of know what the market is, so I'm not really sure. I'll tell you, though, next time Apple comes out with something like this that I don't plan to buy because I'm not going to buy these, I'm going to buy one anyway to flip on eBay. You've got 30-day return, so I just won't open it. And if it sells out that quickly, 
I'll make a little bit of money from Apple. I know that's kind of, you know, um, but, I, but I'm looking right now, it's 12 to 14 weeks um, wow. to get them. Now, for a while, some people on Twitter were saying that if you get them with engraving, you can actually get them quicker because I guess they had set aside a number for engraving. Um, but that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. It comes in five colors and it's got you know, ah, yes, no, here's the big thing. So this is what's cool about it. The ear pads, you can buy different color ear pads. They're going to do with this what they do with the um, watch bands for the Apple Watch. They're going to make a whole market for different colored ear pads and probably different styles and different materials. And so we'll see. Anyway, okay. <laughs> um, you're not going to buy one. I'm not going to buy no. one. And Okay. So you've got an article on the Intego Mac security blog, and it's one, two, three times that Apple has notarized Mac malware in 2020. Notarization means that they get the code, developers upload it to Apple, and Apple says, this is okay, so that when people launch an app on their Mac, there's no warning that says, oh, this could be malware. Right, exactly. And and this is an automated process, which is, again, this is different from submitting something to the App Store where you have a human who actually reviews things uh, that gets submitted to the App Store. Notarization is not that same process. This is just purely automated. And Apple describes it essentially as just a, a check to see whether this is malware. Um, however, yeah, with this being the third time that this has happened this year, um, and in every six weeks now, <laughs> we, somebody discovers like that, oh, this has happened again. Um, it, it may very well be that there have been more, uh, malware samples that Apple has notarized that we just haven't heard about yet or discovered yet. Um, but the first were discovered in August and then we discovered, uh, some more in October and now Intego actually discovered the latest ver- variation in uh, just last week, uh, actually. So this is um, a recurring theme. And it's it's interesting, too, that the way that they're able to slip past Apple's notarization process is different every time. Um, last time they were using some steganography. Um, you know, sometimes they... Uh, they they, they try different techniques. They might try to hide a zip file within another file, for example. Um, and uh, in this case, it seems like they were trying to imitate a uh, command line YouTube downloader. Um, and uh, so they're using some Python code. And um, it's sort of interesting. But in any case, they found yet another way to work around Apple's automated checks for malware. And so Apple notarized malware. So... Apple made it easier for this particular malware to run on Macs. Um, That's a good point because it does become easier because users aren't alerted, um, even though this could be an app that they didn't intentionally download. They got a drive-by download from a website. They're going to double-click it, and there is no warning. There will be a reminder that it was downloaded from the internet, but they won't get that warning about malware or potential malware. Right. And and this is yet again um as always pretty much like almost almost all Mac Trojan horses these days um come in the form of a of a fake flash player installer or updater. So once again, um this was a website that told you that you needed to update flash player, you get a a, a download and it looks like a flash player installer but then it actually does other things that have nothing to do with flash player. It's just sort of like the common 
Trojan horse method on the Mac. And I, I don't know why flash player we say like almost every week now <laughs> that <laughs> flash player is essentially dead. App, Adobe's not going to release any more updates for flash player after December 31st. Uh, so they say, and uh, that includes security updates. So how long is this going to go on? Like how long are malware makers going to continue to do fake flash players on the Mac? Because is there going to be like a, a big enough push um, where, you know, major news outlets are going to be talking about the end of Flash Player? I don't know w- whether we're going to see that or not and whether the general public is really going to become aware of this. So that's one thing I'm very curious to see next year is how much longer this uh, Flash Player Trojan is going to still be the way that malware is delivered on the Mac or they're going to use something else instead. Well, our last episode for this year on the podcast is going to be about Flash Player. We're going to spend some time talking about the history of Flash Player and its history as a vehicle for malware. Uh, I think in our last episode, we mentioned that website that you keep talking about, homestarrunner.com. Well, last week I checked and they have a new version that doesn't use Flash Player. Right. Yeah. They've, uh, in addition to eventually kind of uploading a lot of their uh, Flash cartoons to YouTube, um, there's now some technology that has come out to make it more easy for um, existing Flash content to be to be played without using the Flash player built into a browser. Um, and so I believe that's what they're using for the for their technology uh, on their website to make things smoother, um, you know, to, to transition rather than having to convert everything to a different format and all that. So, yeah, this is something that other developers can do as well. If you have a website that's primarily developed in Flash and you still haven't done anything about it, and I'm looking at you, a lot of, you know, K through third grade education sites out there, <laughs> um, you know, look at these new technologies because uh, there's at least one company, the, uh, the one that homestarrunner.com is using, um, that will make it easy for you to transition. If you really can't redevelop your product from scratch, you can at least use some conversion product like this to to make it easier for you to get your site up and running past December 31st. Okay, we'll talk more about that in two weeks. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some, well, let's see, uh, iOS 14 anti-tracking rules, Apple's App Store privacy requirements, and a new privacy-focused internet protocol developed by Apple and Cloudflare. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2021. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier, powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, personal backup to keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Big Sur and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac podcast listeners. Intego, 
world-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts. Okay, so it seems that Craig Federighi has said something about Apple possibly banning apps that don't follow iOS 14 tracking rules. Now, the first thing I thought of when I read this is, well, if there are rules and you don't follow them, then something has to happen, right? Um, Apple has a new uh, anti-tracking policy that's going to roll out sometime next year. They had planned to roll this out with the uh, release of iOS 14, but advertisers were complaining. Um, They were saying they couldn't adapt themselves too quickly, but they were basically complaining to try and get more time. And so Craig Federighi has warned developers that they have to play by the rules. It just seems to me that you got rules and there has to be some sort of a penalty if you break them, right? Right. And specifically what's going on here is that um, iOS 14 was originally supposed to launch with this uh, new privacy feature. Um, But essentially, this is coming supposedly at the beginning of next year now. So it's going to be early 2021, um, which is right around the corner, really, at this point. Um, But they say that apps are going to require opt-in permission from users in order to collect their random advertising identifier. Um, so this is some something that advertisers use to um, to give you personalized ads and track how effective their campaigns are and things like that. And so basically the idea with this advertising identifier has been um, to give developers a little bit more insight into, for example, if you uh, had been using one of their apps and then you uh, decide to get another one of their apps, um, they can tell that it's the same user who's using both apps. And So, for example, if you use Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp... Right. And, and the Facebook Messenger app and yeah, like all, all the all the Facebook apps. Right. And it, it's kind of the same thing for uh, for other companies, too. They may want to know uh, that they've got the same user across multiple apps. Now, in that case, in the case of Facebook in particular, you generally are using the same account to log into those multiple apps so they can still tell basically um, that the same person is using multiple apps. Um, but there are a lot of other cases where may- maybe you're not signing into a particular app. And so they may not be able to track you across apps in those kind of scenarios once this change takes place. A lot of apps use a framework from Facebook to manage advertising. And some months ago, there was a a, a situation where some apps weren't launching because the framework wasn't working, a server was down, or there was something wrong, and all these apps had to be updated. So it's clear that Facebook is well implanted in third-party apps, and this is really a good example of where this is a problem. That, as you say, if you're using the Facebook account for Facebook and Instagram, then it makes sense that they know what you're doing. But if other apps know who you are through Facebook, because remember, all the data that Facebook has on you, it's not just you're playing a game and they know that you're on an iPhone 12 with iOS 14 in a particular time zone, um, but they know everything that Facebook knows about you. Well, and this brings up another interesting point, which is that you don't even necessarily have to have a Facebook account for Facebook to have data about you because their uh, Facebook tracking technology is being used in lots of third-party apps. Um, And so they've been able to tell that the same person is using multiple apps because of that identifier. So this is taking a little bit of... um, 
uh, of that visibility away from tracking companies like Facebook as well. Uh, you know, it's not just about, you know, penalizing developers who might want to know about users using multiple apps. I mean, this is this is really more going to hurt Facebook and other companies that develop these cross-app tracking technologies that uh, developers can license and put in their apps. Just coincidentally, we're recording on December 9th, and there was an announcement this morning that 40 states in the federal government are opening investigation into Facebook for antitrust violations. So I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about this in the future. As long as we're talking about Facebook, let's talk about WhatsApp. WhatsApp is protesting Apple's requirement that developers submit information about what user data they collect. Apple is calling these um, this information nutrition labels that are going to show up on the app stores. They're not about nutrition, but they're using the same concept of, of the nutrition labels that are very clear, very simple. And this is a privacy initiative that Apple announced uh, recently. And apparently the deadline for developers to submit this information was yesterday. So it would have been the 8th of December. This information is going to start being displayed in the App Store. And WhatsApp doesn't like it because they don't like the labels, the, the categories, the nutritional categories that Apple has selected. Yeah, well, that's one of the things they're complaining about. So they, they say this is a, a, a portion of their statement. They say, we think labels should be consistent across first and third party apps, as well as reflect the strong measures apps may take to protect people's private information. So um, the first thing that they're saying there is, hey, if these rules have to apply to all of us as third party apps, then they should also apply to Apple as well. But because you've got iMessage, you know, the, uh, the messages app built into the iPhone, there's, there's nothing that tells users what's different about messages versus WhatsApp or Signal or any other app. Um, and so y- it may appear that WhatsApp is less private, uh, but they... You know, of course, in their opinion, they've got probably better security than uh, than Apple's Messages app, and they don't think that that's very transparent because Apple's sort of not applying the same rules to their own first party apps. Well, the question of security between one messaging app and another, there's there are a number of things going on. One is the protocol and how secure it is and how it's encrypted, but this isn't what Apple's talking about with these labels. It's talking about the other information that the app may be collecting about users. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that the first part of what you were saying there is kind of what WhatsApp was alluding to a little bit. Um, they, they're saying that, uh, again, this is another part of their statement. They say, while providing people with easy to read information is a good start. So they like that. They like the nutrition label concept. Um, but they say, we believe it's important people can compare these privacy nutrition labels from apps they download with apps that, that come pre-installed, like iMessage. And they're also talking about how the lengths that companies go to protect sensitive information may not really come out in these nutrition labels. Uh, Because if that's all they're looking at, and they see whatever, you know, rating they get from Apple, that doesn't necessarily speak to all the things that they're doing behind the scenes to try to protect users' privacy. That's the argument that WhatsApp is making. 
Right. And and I kind of think that Apple's argument is better that we don't care because what you're doing today may not be what you're doing tomorrow. We just know that in the app, as you have it, you're collecting this sort of information. So um, I'll link to the blog post on WhatsApp's blog. They say the kinds of things that they're um, getting are contact information, financial information uh, in countries where you can send payment via WhatsApp, purchases, identifiers, etc. Apple doesn't care about how secure the database and the server are on the back end. That's not the problem. What Apple is looking at is simply the information that's, that's collected here. And I think rightly so. Yeah, and, and it is interesting. I mean, especially I, I hadn't really thought of WhatsApp being an app that might collect financial-related information. Um, it, it never really crossed my mind because I've not used it for that purpose. Um, but at the same time, um, I can see where that could, I guess, be a little bit misleading to users because if that's not a feature that you're planning to use, it's not going to try to necessarily collect financial information from you unless that you, unless you try to enable that feature and use that feature. Okay, so here's here's an interesting thing. Um, WhatsApp allows you to make and receive payments in India. It's the only country where it is. Apparently, WhatsApp is like an entire platform in India, but. Let's say you're in India and you get WhatsApp from the U.S. or the U.K. app store. So the app in any store has to tell you that this information might be collected, even though it's not being used in the country you're in. Or what if you get it from the Indian app store and you work in the U.S. where you may still be able to make payments in India, but not in the U.S.? Does that make sense? Right. When we have things that are country specific, it's really complicated. Yeah, yeah, and and that's fair. I mean, and of course that explains why I haven't heard of this payment feature through WhatsApp. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I can understand. I, I understand like the the perspective that WhatsApp has here uh, with their kind of being a little bit upset about the way things are being done. But I agree with you that generally speaking, I think this is important. It, it is good to uh, at least give users or potential users of an app some more insight into what kinds of things this app could potentially request. It's not necessarily that they will get all of these things from you, but they may collect this kind of information. Um, It is also nice to know that, you know, some of this stuff is not necessarily automatically collected. That's where I think um, and I haven't seen the privacy label labels yet, so we'll, we'll see what they actually look like. But uh, potentially, it kind of sounds like this sort of thing could be a little bit confusing because if they say this app collects financial information from you, even though that's sort of an opt-in, not you know, optional feature, um, that could very well confuse users and make them uncomfortable with wanting to download an app. So we'll see how it plays out once this feature actually goes live and and we can really play with with it and see what it does. Okay, so Cloudflare, um, Cloudflare, if you know them, they're a company that does things like DNS. Um, They protect websites from denial of service attacks there. They use caching services. They work as a content delivery network, among other things. They're a sort of middleman in the internet. Um, Cloudflare and Apple have developed a new internet protocol that they're calling ODA. Is that how you would pronounce it? <laughs> Odo, I think, would probably be how it's pronounced. O-D-O-H. Odo is how you say that. Yeah. You know, I've never seen an episode of The Simpsons, so I don't know exactly how it's pronounced. I only just see this written. <laughs> I, that's pretty surprising to me. You've never seen Homer Simpson say, oh. No. Nope. 
Odo is oblivious DNS over HTTPS. Please explain this. <laughs> okay. So first of all, DNS over HTTPS, the idea behind this is that the original DNS protocol um, and remember, DNS is the technology that allows you to type in a domain like apple.com or intigo.com and have it resolved to the IP address um, where that uh, that web server or whatever kind of server is actually located. Um, the IP address is a numerical address. Exactly, right. And and so it's not necessarily easy to remember, you know, 17 dot something dot something dot something um, it's much easier to remember apple.com. Uh, and so DNS makes that process easy. It automatically looks things up for you. The problem with DNS is that because this is one of those legacy technologies of the internet, um, it doesn't inherently have security built into it. And so uh, Cloudflare um, is famous for promoting DNS over HTTPS, which is a newer version of DNS that actually does secure those DNS lookups. And there's multiple methods uh, for for doing DNS securely, but DNS over HTTPS is is one of the the big standards for this. Um, Now, oblivious DNS over HTTPS takes this a step further. So with uh, Doe, <laughs> DNS over HTTPS, um, you, you still have those requests coming from your computer and going to a DNS server. So it's still possible to see that, uh, that your device is the one that's, you know, requesting this information. Although a man in the middle can't really see what information is being requested because it's encrypted. Um, and I guess that the idea behind oblivious, DNS over HTTPS is that it takes it a step further by uh, not only encrypting the DNS query, uh, but also passing it through a proxy server. And they say that in this way, the proxy cannot see the query and the DNS resolver cannot see who originally sent it. So, um, so they're, they're taking this a step further. And so now the, the DNS company, whoever's providing DNS for you, if they support this new protocol, they won't be able to tell that you are the one who requested this because now the, only the proxy theoretically knows that information. So now you have to have a trusted proxy. Yes. <laughs> so it's just play, exactly. it's it's shifting this to um, a different uh, uh, provider, I guess. Um, or now potentially it could be the same provider that's doing the proxy and the DNS server. Um, in which case, I don't know that there's really that much more security inherent in this process. Well, it's just a question of whether or not they're keeping logs. Right, exactly. And so you would want a proxy here in this case um, that doesn't log, you know, your lookups. Um, so, yeah, so you have to have a trusted proxy. That's that's really the important part in this whole process. Okay, so this is kind of like if you wanted to send me a postcard in code, you sent the postcard in code, but put it in an envelope, right? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Now, <laughs> now, now you've got now you've got to look an additional layer of kind of almost obfuscation. I, I wouldn't even say that this is necessarily an additional layer of security, because again, it's it's more like shifting the responsibility to that proxy server rather than putting all of that responsibility on the DNS resolver. That's kind of how it seems to me anyway. And maybe I'm missing something here. But now the other thing is 
one thing that concerned me as I thought about, well, okay, now you're sticking a proxy server in there. So that means that the the lookups are going to be slower, right? And they claim that page loading times and browsing speeds are practically indistinguishable when using this protocol. Um, So we'll see in reality whether that turns out to be the case. But basically, I would expect a very, very slight delay because now you, you are having to go through an additional server as part of this process. True, but there's very little data in the DNS request, and Cloudflare does have servers around the world. So theoretically, you probably won't notice. Just an interesting metaphor, I realized, that when we're talking about how the DNS system works, um, another example of this is that you could dial 1-800-MY-APPLE to get Apple on the phone. You don't have to know the actual numbers. And I guess it started back then, didn't it, with phone numbers back, I guess, as old in the 70s, I remember some like that, maybe even before. And this is how the DNS system works. Um, so basically, you have something memorable, a word or two words, that replace a number. Uh, with the DNS system, the letters don't correspond to digits the way they do on the phone. So you're not limited to the to a number of uh, letters or digits. Um, but it is the same idea, isn't it? Yeah, that is kind of interesting. I haven't really thought about that before. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I guess you could say that that was kind of a, a precursor to to DNS. Well, I was curious about this. So, so looking this up on Wikipedia, uh, domain name system, if you look up that article, um, apparently there was something called the host name registry that was used from 1972 to 1989. And then by the early 80s, having one single centralized host, you know, that had all of these domains within it, became too slow to have everything look up that way. And so then they started uh, developing uh, what is now the domain name system DNS, and so those specifications were um, were ratified and, and started to be used in no- 1983. So 1983 is when like DNS officially started, but there was a precursor to that that was used as early as 1972. Okay, so for telephones, this goes back to around 1917, where the first two letters would be the exchange. Oh, that's right. If you were a fan of I Love Lucy, one of the Ricardo's numbers was Murray Hill 5, 9975. And I remember that when I was young in New York, our phone number had two letters at the beginning. Yep. Yeah. And on, uh, by the way, since we were talking about The Simpsons a moment ago, <laughs> phone numbers on The Simpsons often start with Klondike 5, which is 555. That's right, because the 555 number, if you're not American, you might not know this, and you see in movies that there's often numbers with 555. These are all numbers that are not given out to anyone. The phone company keeps these as sort of dummy numbers. There are a couple of exceptions. Back in the day, 555-1234 was a number to call information, and there may be a few others, but anyone can use a 555 number because Imagine if you're writing a movie or a TV show and you just pick a random phone number and it's a real person's number. You wouldn't want to do that. Right. 8675309. What's that? <laughs> like the old pop song 8675309. Oh, right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right, that's enough for this week. Um until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac podcast, the voice of Mac security with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you'd be so kind, leave a rating, a like, or a review. 
Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com.